Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. All right, well, let's get into the word this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can go to Exodus 33. We'll get there. We'll get there in a moment. But let's, uh, let's let me just intro our new series this morning. We are starting a new series. Woo! Okay. And it's called The Art of Spirituality. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks. And um, I've got the, the job of introing it this morning and tackling our first topic, which is going to be solitude and silence. And we're going to start with a moment of silence. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you've noticed, have you noticed how there is such a deep hunger for spiritual things and supernatural things in the time we're living in right now? I mean, you can just see it like in all the movies and TV programs. There's always this like spirituality that's coming through or this idea of a supernatural world that's coming through. And if you chat to many people today, what you find is that they will often call themselves deeply spiritual people. Like I'm a spiritual person, you know, and and they have some form of spirituality. It's just not really in the Christian sense. It's more aligned to New Age beliefs and Eastern practices, if anything. In fact, the buzzwords of our time at the moment are the words meditation, transcendental meditation, visualization, consciousness, cosmic consciousness. There's arts like yoga and, um, and mindfulness and serenity and all these things. Are, that these, these are all like the buzzwords of the now, and they're coming through in in the voice of our generation in many ways. And the question is, well, why is this? What is this resurgence? What is this desire? Where do, why, why are people suddenly just craving something supernatural or spiritual? And the reason is because if you take a look at the last century, what you will notice is that there have been two prevailing ideologies or philosophies that the Western world has accepted as true. And the first is this, is secular humanism and the second is postmodernism. Can you turn to the person next to you and say secular humanism? Turn to the other person and say postmodernism. Ask them what is postmodernism? <laughs> Glad you asked, all right? <laughs> postmodernism is the belief that whatever you believe is true, you are the highest authority. You know, you, whatever you decide is true about your life or the world or anything, you are the highest form of authority. Secular humanism, on the other hand, is the belief or the philosophy that there is no immaterial universe. There's only the material universe. So only what we can see, feel, touch, experiment through science. So secular humanism is an atheistic way to look at the world, agnostic at best. And it's these two prevailing thoughts or ideologies that have left a massive void in people's hearts. Why? Well, if secular humanism says that the, the world is all that there is, the material world, is that's it, I know deep in my heart that there is, there is something, there's a part of me that cannot be touched by another material thing. 
I can get another gadget and I'm happy for a moment. I can get another thing, a car, a house, or whatever, some, something shiny, something bad, a new shoes, new bag, new clothes, whatever. I can get something, but there's a part of me that cannot be reached. There's a part of me that's not expressed by just the material universe. And with postmodernism, postmodernism throws us into this dichotomy where what we where, where we, we want to do whatever we feel is right, and we vehemently defend our right to sin and to do everything. But on the other hand, we struggle inwardly with a guilty conscience and shame, which we cannot reconcile with our own philosophy and beliefs. And so these two beliefs, postmodernism and secular humanism, have left this void in us and this deep desire for something beyond me, something beyond this universe, something beyond the material universe. And, and so people are searching for some sort of spirituality. We can see this in like the movie, lots of movies, but the one that I kind of, this is so obvious, is in the movie Avatar. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> um, so, so in the first, there's a second, isn't there? Yeah, I've only seen the first. It's still coming out still coming out, all right? I've only seen the first one. And um, in the first one, there's this like, you know, the secular humanist kind of depiction of humanity where, you know, it's there, there's just, it's uncaring, it's harsh, and they're, and they're going to this planet and they're mining this planet for everything that they can get out of it to support the, the machine of this capitalist kind of, you know, economy that's being built. And on this planet, there is this ancient civilization who are deeply connected to their planets. Their plants mean something to them, but animals mean something to them. And there's this like mystical energy that they have around them that connects them to each other and to their planets. And the main character comes from this kind of capitalist, immaterial kind of secular humanist mentality into this environment. And he, and he joins this ancient civilization and he starts to experience what they're experiencing. And he starts to go through this process of which one is better. And he starts to then align with the, the one that has some form of spirituality, which actually in the movie just so you know is actually Buddhism just that's I mean that's pretty much what's been portrayed in that movie in that movie is just Buddhism and with some new age twist to it and and so he transfers from from the material from this material secular humanist understanding to this to this tribe with a deep spirituality like some sort of connection that's taking place and all of the if, if anything that movie is like a modern-day parable for our generation our generation is looking for something beyond just the material universe, looking for something spiritual, looking for some form of spirituality that's above and bigger than me, something that will validate my choices in life, which postmodernism doesn't do. See, postmodernism says that you are the highest authority in whatever you decide is right. But when then we go and we do that, but then at the end of the day, we still want something just to say, well, how do I know that I'm right? What can validate me? And if it's not just, and, and not just other broken humans trying to validate me, you know, we, we need something higher. We need a plumb line. We need objective truth to tell us that what we're doing and the way we're living is right. And so there is this deep search for something spiritual. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find within me there is a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then it must mean 
that I'm made for another, that we are, were made for another world. And how true. There is this, there is this acknowledgement within each and every one of us that, that there's a part of us that cannot be satisfied by every, anything material in this world. And it leads us to seek for something from another world, to look for something from the spiritual world. Enter into that our faith, Christianity. What do we have to offer this generation? Well, unfortunately, when our generation thinks about Christianity, they typically think about buildings like, you know, church buildings and preachers like me with Bibles shouting <laughs> and high-energy activities and, and services and, and rituals and rules and laws. And they, they think of all these things and they don't think, therefore, that we have a spirituality or some, that deeper thing that actually they're looking for. And so they turn to Eastern beliefs and New Age practices in order to find what they're looking for. When, at the end of the day, we actually hold the authentic spirituality. I mean, if you look at John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, what you'll notice is that Jesus says this. He says, on the last day of the feast, he stands up to a great crowd and he says, if anybody is thirsty, come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from your heart, from your innermost being. And he spoke about the Holy Spirit, which at that point had not yet been given because he had not yet been glorified. Jesus said, if anybody is thirsty, if you're looking for some part of you to be satisfied that's not getting satisfied by material things or another experience or another gadget or something, come to me and I will give you the authentic spirituality. I will give you the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will come and live within you and it will flow out of you into your life. There will be like this river. This only way to describe it is like a river flowing from your innermost heart, like a new energy, a new power, a new grace, a new way to look at the world. Everything that you've been looking for is found in that Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that without the Spirit of God, we are not gods. We are not the sons of God. We cannot know God, we cannot hear God, and we cannot walk with God. With the Spirit of God, we can understand the things of God. They're no longer foolishness to us. And so we are holding in our lives, in our midst, the true spirituality, the real deal, the authentic spirituality, not something that's made up, not something that's just in our minds, not something that's just a philosophy, but it's the true, the real spirituality. And during this series, what we want to do is we want to just uphold that truth, and we want to come back to a place where we're living from a place where those rivers of living water are flowing from our innermost being. You know, typically when you think about church, often we're thinking about moments like these. Amen? Where, where there's high energy, there's music, there's engaging preachers, there's visuals, there's lights, there's... We typically, we think about this, but all of this moment that we're experiencing right now is actually just a supplement or a catalyst to what should be your own private life with God. So this is, 
a catalyst or a supplement to help you what? Have a deep private, a deep spirituality, a deep life with God. If all you have is this moment and you do not have a private life with God, then it's kind of like it's annulled. You know, it's, it's kind of like a fake. It's not going to last very long. Can you imagine if, like, Trish and I only had a public relationship? <laughs> like, the, like, we're only married, like, right now, but this is, the, like, the only time we're married is, like, when there's others around. Like, how long would our marriage last? <laughs> she said it, not long. <laughs> so, so, it's the same with this moment here. This is a moment of catalyzing our faith. This is a moment of engaging our faith, of equipping us. But all of it is meant to be bringing us back to a place where we have this deep, intimate, personal experience, personal encounter, and personal relationship with God. Amen. So this is what we're going to explore in this series. And today I want to talk about silence and solitude as a spiritual practice that helps us to Tap into those rivers of living water that flow from our innermost being. Next week, we're going to talk about meditation because the world is talking about meditation that's out there and it's a, and it's a blanking of the mind and it's, a, it's a many different things. We think that meditation, you just, you know, you sit on the beach and blank out your mind. But actually, we hold, this Bible's been talking about meditation for centuries, all right? Meditation is something that we own, all right? That's something that we have. So we're going to talk about that and various other things throughout this course. And the idea is just to catalyze your personal relationship with God again. So shall we pray before we get into the Word? Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your Word. Lord, your Word brings life, healing, and direction. And so we treasure your Word more than our daily bread. We boldly confess that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Exodus chapter 33. Are you there? We're going to read from verse 7. And it says the following. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. Can you say outside the camp? Far from the camp. Can you say far from the camp? And he called it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Isn't that cool? And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of the meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses." And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Brilliant picture there of Joshua, just tapping in to something 
That was amazing. Lingering on in the presence of God. I want you to notice just Moses here. And, and, and in, this, in this passage of Scripture, what we're doing is we're getting a picture of what it means to have a personal relationship with God. Moses takes his tent. He pitches it outside the camp. What is the camp? The camp is where everybody is. The camp is the noisy place, the busy place. It's where, you know, all the kids are running around. It's where there's commerce happening. There's, it's where there's food that's happening. There's all the, it's the busyness of life, the camp. What does Moses do? He takes his tent and he pitches it. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing a leaving of busyness. We're seeing a withdrawing from the chaos of life. And he goes and he pitches a tent there. All right, this is, and when you pitch a tent, you know, you know I don't know, tents, eh? I don't enjoy tents. Sometimes you need like a degree in tentology to open some of these things and figure out with a pole that's, I've, I've wasted so many times trying to figure out how to get a tent up, you know? But like a tent takes effort, okay? That's, that's, so he goes out and he's, and he's putting in effort to construct a place that's just him and God. It's just him and God. And he calls it something. He calls it a place of meeting, a tent of meeting, a tabernacle of meeting. It has a name. It has a place. It has attention given to it. It has detail given to it. And it's outside of the camp. And that's where he goes and he meets with God. And look what it says there. It says he talks to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. People, I want you to know that this is the Christian life. You face to face with your Father in heaven. This is what Jesus died for on the cross so that you could come boldly to a throne of grace and that you could have a deep and intimate personal relationship with the Father of creation, the one who made you, the one who made everything in this world, that you could come to him and talk to him and cry out to him, Daddy, Abba, Father. We have not received the Spirit from the world, but the Spirit from God, given to us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He has put His Spirit in us, and that Spirit says that we are His, and it draws us back to Him and enables us to have a personal relationship with Him, face to face with God. We should never look at this and just go, oh, so lucky Moses. You know, just, oh, what a, you know, that guy, he, he has a great spirituality, very spiritual guy. No, this is a picture for us. This is a picture for us. What we see in here is our birthright, what Jesus purchased for us. And I want to say to us as a church this morning that this is everything. This is everything. This is the most sacred place. This is the most important place. This is your highest priority in life, is to have a tent of meeting with God. Everything, I'm going to share a little bit just, just now, but everything flows from that place. The life that you're looking for flows from that place. If you do not have that place, then you do not have an authentic spirituality. It's so important that we cultivate that space, create that space, and that we master that space. That we, this is why this thing's called the art of spirituality. It's an art to have that space. 
It's, it's a discipline, but it's a, it's, it's a mastery that we have, to, we have to master ourselves, our time, our schedules, our so many things in order to protect and keep that place with God. Why is it so hard to, to have a spirituality in the times we're living in? Well, a couple of reasons. Firstly, because modern day life is, um, what is the next slide, please? There's three reasons I've given here. It's centered around instant gratification. Wouldn't you agree? And if we want to have some sort of spirituality, it's going to require time and patience. <laughs> Did you know that on the inside of you, there is a gratification monster? I'm serious. There's a little thing, there's like a little monster inside of you that measures every action, unconsciously sometimes to us, every action or decision that you make against whether it will or not gratify you. And so you will wake up in the morning and the bed will be nice and warm. And you'll be, should I go to church? I'm just kidding for the online people. <laughs> just kidding. Should I go to work? <laughs> I don't know. Should I go and do something like the, uh, go for a run? Let's keep it there, okay? So there's no condemnation flowing in the house. <laughs> should I go for that run or should I stay in bed and have a lazy morning? Well, how do I make that decision? Typically, the gratification monster goes, which one's going to bring me more pleasure? And let's do that one. Amen? What should I eat? I open the fridge, there's an apple, or there's like some leftover lasagna, or there's some like powerful pudding over there, you know, with cream or something on it. Like, what am I going to have for my midday snack? The little gratification monster, what does it do? Go for the pudding. <laughs> go, go for the pudding. You know, and, and so... You know, all, these, all the time we're making decisions and often we're making them on what will gratify us the most, what will bring us the most pleasure. Patience is the delay of gratification for some greater satisfaction to come. That's what patience really is. Patience is saying, I'm not going to gratify myself right now. I'm rather going to wait because I see a greater satisfaction that can come at another point. And when we talk about spirituality and cultivating a spiritual life, we have to understand that it's in antithesis. It's, it's the opposite of what we've been trained to live with in this generation. In this generation, it's like instant. We need it now. If we want to hear God, He must speak now. You know, if we want to receive the Spirit, it must be now. And if it's not there in five minutes, I've moved on to something else because there's something else that can rather fill me. Let me ask you this question. If I had to say, okay, let's spend the next hour in silence. <laughs> or you could get three things done on your to-do list that like are really important for this week. What's your monster doing right now? You're an hour and I might hear God or might not hear God. That's an hour wasted of time. I'm going into that and it's it's probably going to be a waste. It's like, I don't know. I, don't, I tried it yesterday for 15 minutes and it didn't work and I didn't get much out of it. So will I ever be able to, that's a whole hour, that's a lot of my time. I could get so much done in that time. And we choose rather to do things 
that will actually move us forward in the material world, and we ignore the immaterial. Amen? Amen? Okay, not only that, all right, instant gratification versus time and patience, but we're also living in a time that's highly distracted. Highly distracted. Did you know? <laughs> this is a crazy statistic. I don't know how they measured this. But the, did you know this, that in the year 2000, the attention span of humans was 12 and a half seconds. In 2013, it dropped to eight seconds. The attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds, people. And that was 2013. I wonder what our attention span is right now in the year 2022. I mean, it does not say much about us, hey? <laughs> we are so... Haven't you noticed this in your meetings? Is that we're in a meeting, but we're here, and we're here, and yes, yes, I'm here, but we're, we're in multiple places all the time. We live in a state that many people are calling continual partial attention. In other words, we're never fully present. We're never fully there. In fact, the best gift that we could probably actually give to anybody in our time is presence. Like, I'm really here, and I'm really listening to you, and I'm not, like, waiting and watching the time and my phone and everything else. Highly distracted generation. Thirdly, we're a constantly connected generation. You know, we're connected to people and relationships all the time. All the time, we're, we're always texting, messaging, inquiring, asking, hearing, replying, sending. We're this, this is constant connection. But if we want to cultivate a spirituality, a spiritual life, it's going to require solitude and silence. And so when you look at the column on the left, time and patience, focus and presence, solitude and silence, you start to get an idea of why we struggle to live with those rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being. Those are our enemies right there. Those are the things that we're going to have to master, overcome, in order to have a deeply spiritual life. Amen? Um, I have this quote I want to share with you this morning. Um, let's, I'll tell you what, let's just go to, let's go to, to swing our attention from Moses to Jesus for a moment. Can you join me in Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 reads, Despite Jesus' plea that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. What does that tell us? He was in demand. And not just a little bit of demand, crowds of demand. If this was like modern day Jesus, we're talking about an inbox that's full, hundreds of unread messages, okay? We're talking about massive demand here, okay? But, look at Jesus' answer, but Jesus often withdrew, can you say often? Often withdrew to solitary places and prayed. What did Jesus do in all the demand? He often withdrew. He often did what Moses did. He left the camp, 
He withdrew to a solitary place, a quiet place, a silent place where he could pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 reads as follows. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, cold, wet, July, Durban, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off where? To a solitary place where he prayed. He left the house, and he went somewhere. He had a tent of meeting. Matthew 14, 23, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. That means he spent time there. Let me ask you, when was the last time you went up on a mountainside by yourself? When was the last time you withdrew, <laughs> except Travis, all right? <laughs> For most of us, that wasn't in a while. When was the last time we withdrew to a solitary place and practiced time, space, patience, and waiting on God in prayer? What we notice about Jesus is that he continually did this. And there are so many other scriptures I could go to in the Gospels that show this, that Jesus had a life, a connection with his Father that he valued that he looked after, it was a rhythm in his life, it was something that he cultivated in his life. In fact, there are six reasons why Jesus chose solitude over people, or six times in particular. Firstly, to prepare himself for a big task. Whenever he had to prepare himself for a big task, he would withdraw to solitary places. We see this in the temptation in Luke chapter 4, where he withdrew to a solitary place before he was tempted by Satan. After a hard time of working where it was lots of output, again, we see him withdrawing to a solitary place, which says that after a time of output, what's needed is some time alone. When he had to work through grief, when he learned that John the Baptist was beheaded, his cousin was killed, murdered, what did he do? He withdrew to that solitary place. Why? To process grief. Where do we process grief? in that place. Listen, there's something about going to God in our grief that heals us, that you can go to multiple counseling sessions and multiple can, groups and, and all, you know, that can just take forever. But you can also go to this place and, and receive the healing that you need. Before making important decisions, before he chose his 12 disciples, he withdrew to a solitary place and he prayed the entire night through before he chose them. In a time of distress, like on the Mount of Olives, he withdrew to a solitary place to pray. Every time he wanted to focus on prayer, he withdrew. What does this tell us? It tells us that solitude, is a fun, solitude and silence is a fundamental spiritual practice. It's fundamental. In fact, Henry Nowen said the following. He says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. I just want that to sink in deep. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Secondly, obviously, this tells us that this is where Jesus got his power from. (laughs) 
This is where he got his compassion from. This is where he got his guidance from. This is where he got his wisdom from. Why? Well, because the disciples came to him. They never said, Jesus, teach us to cast out demons or Jesus, teach us to preach. What did they ask him? Teach us how to pray. Why? Because they could see him withdrawing to prayer, coming back in the power of the Spirit, making the right decisions at the right time, walking in line with the Spirit. And they were like, okay, I can connect the dots here. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to do that, and then we'll see more of the other. You know, Mother Teresa has this, um, this wonderful kind of, I don't know, it's like a mantra, um, and I just think it's so brilliant. I just want to share it with us this morning. It says the following. It says, the fruit of silence is, let's read it together. The fruits of silence is prayer. The fruits of prayer is faith. The fruits of faith is love. The fruits of love service, the fruit of service is peace. And why do I like this? Well, firstly, I think it's, it's pretty biblical in, in what we see. There's like a, there's a pattern of this. But like, what I like is, is that it shows that there is a flow from one to the other. And this is something like, kind of like dominoes, you know, like you knock the one over, it knocks the other, it knocks the other, it knocks the other. And look at where the source is coming from. It comes from where? Silence. That from silence, a prayer is cultivated. From prayer, we start to see faith. From faith, we start to see action, love. From love, we see action. From action, we see service, peace, etc. We start to see all these dominoes fall. But what is the source of all of it? Silence. Time with God alone is the source of all of that. And so we have to ask the question, if there's no faith, love, service, peace, in my life that's flowing like a river, could it be that I haven't started at the source of the river? Could it be that I've neglected that first place, that place of silence and solitude, and therefore I'm not seeing everything else that's flowing in my life? Blaise Pascal said the following, and I, I fully agree with him. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <laughs> I think that's so true. I mean, I'm, I just look at my, me. I'm just looking at my life, okay? All of my problems, Wayne's problems, stem from what? My inability to sit quietly with God alone. Be alone with God. How many decisions have I made wrong in my life because I just neglected that place <laughs> with God? Do you agree with me? Is that the same with you and your life? So why is it so hard? Why are we so unable to sit quietly in a room alone with God? Well, Blaise Pascal says that we fear the silence of existence. And instead, we choose aimless distraction and false comforts of the mind because we don't want to deal with ourselves, our fears, our insecurities, our emotions. There are deep-seated emotions and insecurities and things that we carry. Our inner worlds are often a mess of ideas and thoughts and all these things that we're carrying. And so rather than face it and deal with it, let's just stay distracted. 
Let's just keep flipping the channel rather than deal with me. Henry Nouwen says something very interesting as well. He said, it's the nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, my distractions, so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I am worth something. Whew! Does not that echo with our hearts? <laughs> it's in silence and it's in solitude that we face the things we're running away from. It's where we face accountability with God. It's where we look into our souls and we see what's really wrong with us and what's really motivating us and we can deal with them there. Another reason is we don't like to do this is because our minds are a mess. Henry Nouwen says, as I decide to stay in solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. <laughs> I love that. Wouldn't you agree? That our minds are a mess. And so like to sit alone, our thoughts start to wander and we start to go into these wild fantasies and confusing ideas and we start to plan our day. And it's so easy for our minds. Just, so our minds are so full of the world and material things and things that we need to do and it leads us astray so that very often that time of just being alone can be wasted because our minds are just too in control. So how do we then practice the art of being in silence and solitude? I'm going to share with you some nuggets this morning that can hopefully equip you for the weeks ahead. So firstly, what we need to do is we need to look at the example of Moses and Jesus. All right, so Moses, what did he do? He had a tent of meeting. Do you have a time, a space, and a place that is outside the camp that is protected and is just you and God? Just you, your Bible, your journal, and your iPhone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I've, I've got the Bible app. Go buy, a, go buy another Bible. Like, really? Because, come on, let's, how often is that phone distracting you? Come on. And it's just like, oh, but I need a song. or I need, Well, learn to sing a song, you know? <laughs> come on, let's just, like, break this thing. Like, where? Let's just acknowledge that we have an addiction problem here with these things, okay? And that we actually need to leave that away from the tent of meeting and practice. You'll be okay. You, I'm telling you, with, with just this and a piece of a journal and a piece of paper and a paint, you will be fine. I promise you. Okay? <laughs> Some of you are like sweating. Like, can I do that? Can I really do that? Yes, you can. Okay? Firstly, you need to have a tent of meeting. Something, you have to have something inside of you that values this and knows that you need this and that you are strong about this, and you corner it off, you block it off, and you retreat there, whether it's like you put the blanket over your head or you climb under the bed or wherever you go, whatever your space is, whether you just hit the beachfront or whatever, but a place where it's just you and God. 
In fact, I don't recommend the beachfront because then you're going to be like, oh, surfer, oh, runner, oh, look at that, oh, seagull. I don't know, you know? Like, <laughs> just find a space that's as best as you can, distraction-free, and put a time limit on it. You know, I'm not saying you need to go spend an hour there this week. Some of you, that might be just a bridge too far. Go spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes there. Start where you're at with what you can do. And watch and allow God to grow you in this area. So, firstly, you need to do that. Secondly, there's this wonderful passage in, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in this, like, story where these disciples are talking around, he comes and he joins them, but they don't know it's Jesus. They don't know it's him. And he begins to talk with them. And it's really interesting. I mean, I just think it's the, the most interesting story there. It's like Jesus just comes alongside like, hey, guys, what's happening? Hey, what's happening? You know, and, and he starts to say, hey, what are you talking about? He asks them this question, what are you talking about? And they're like, don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? And they start to talk about all their problems. They start to talk about their fears. They start to talk about everything that's bothering them. They start to like unload their entire soul world. Then... Jesus takes the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and he begins to take them on a journey through the scriptures. And he begins to show them all the things that, like, about himself in those scriptures. And they're like, wow, this is interesting. Oh, wow, I haven't seen that scripture. And so they're reading the word, they're hearing the word, they're understanding the word. And then they come to the house, and they say, come on inside and have some dinner with us. And he comes inside, and he has dinner with them. And then there's this ritual of breaking bread and taking wine, it's like a ritual thing that happens. And in that moment, their eyes are opened. And they're like, it's Jesus. And then he's gone. <laughs> there's a whole, I can't preach on that for a while. But, but I want you to notice that there's often a process we have to go to before we are face to face with God. And it's typically a process where we're unloading our cares, burdens, and worries. It's typically a process where we're getting into the Word, whether it's through singing, meditation, listening to the Word, whatever it is, that reading, studying, that, that, that we eventually can come to a place where we are face-to-face -face with Jesus. Now, here's the thing, that all of us, all right, have got a different process, and sometimes the process different, differs on the day. You know, sometimes worship is not doing it. Sometimes meditation is not doing it. Sometimes it's declaration. So there are various rituals and spiritual practices within the Word that we can do, journaling, whatever it is, that can help us come to the place. All of them are not ends in themselves. They are means by which we can then have that face-to-face -face moment with Jesus. They means by which all the thoughts are from the day, all the stuff in my soul get filtered slowly through till I'm face-to-face -face with God. Can you see that picture over there? That's not, that's not a, a recipe for you. You've got to go find your own thing. That's why we call this the art of spirituality. You've got to become a master at this thing. You've got to realize that your starting point is typically super busy, super confused mind, all these emotions and fears and all these insecurities, and you've got to bring yourself to the place where you're face-to-face -face with Jesus. And all these things are tools in the process. I mean, typically, you could start with worship and thankfulness. You could then pray in the Spirit for a while. 
You could then journal, unload your thoughts and ideas before God. Then you could take some Bible reading and then some meditation. But the whole purpose of all of that is to bring you to a place where you face to face where you're encountering God. These are spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And, and typically, we, we exalt these. I can do this longer than you. And we compare each other against each other or whatever. That's all rubbish. The end goal is you face to face with God. Do what you need to do to get there. It might take you half an hour just to get you to that place where it's like, oh, God, we're talking. We're face to face. I can hear you. You can hear me. And there's this beautiful exchange taking place of ideas and him guiding my life and healing parts of me and all of that that's taking place. But, you know, it's some, for some of us, it might take five minutes to get there. Some of us, it might be instant. And it depends sometimes on the day. The point is get there. Get there. Do what you need to do to be face-to-face with God. Starts with a tent of meeting, and then it, you can use various tools to help you get there. But the end goal is that you get there. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Next week, we're going to talk more about meditation and how meditation is something that can help us to come face-to-face with Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? Can we just take a moment this morning and, Avi, if you wouldn't mind just putting up that Mother Teresa mantra again, and Sia, you're welcome just to to minister there in the background, champ. I want want you just to take a moment to, to ponder this and speak it and meditate on it, all right? Maybe we can start off together and read it together. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. I want you just to ponder that for a moment. Maybe you want to say it again to yourself. Maybe you just want to think about it for a moment. Just meditate on it. Think about what is faith. Prayer. Love, service. What does peace look like in your life? Why don't you turn it into a bit of a prayer as well? Lord, I want to live a life of peace and service and love and faith. Help me to find the silent place with you. Help me to come back to a place of being face to face with you. Just forget about the people around you for a moment and just just go there. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.